Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope that this message will both teach and encourage you. Here's today's message. Well, good morning. We can do another communion. There's there's one up here. I, I need to be a double dipper when it comes to communion. Amen. Well, look around. Isn't it good to see each other? And uh, there's uh, people who are bringing grandchildren and, and children from the neighborhood or whatever. And uh, we have a need of between 8 to 10 kids to be here on Sunday morning. So we have kids' church starting back up again. And so they, I think Matt and Jennifer are taking care of that this morning over in the multi-purpose building. That same disclaimer, I just stood during all of praise and worship, sat down, and then bounded up the stairs to stand before you and speak. And so my body's kind of catching up from that wind sprint that I just did from there to here. Doing better and better, doing better and better, more strength. Uh, Played in another golf tournament and won. So, yeah, not individual. It was a team effort. I got to be a part of a good team. I I teased him and said it was hit and drag Doug. (laughs) Hit and drag Doug. I don't mind being dragged around the golf course to win first place. And so uh, we enjoyed that as we did that Monday morning. And it benefited family first. And we've had a service here. We're going to have another service here where you hear from our, uh, uh, not a national director, state director, or district director for Family First, Kyle Bateman, or one of the team. It'll be exciting. It opens up the opportunity for us to help uh, family services, minister to families who are in stress, foster families, as well as open up the opportunity for those that might want to connect with foster, becoming a foster family, or adopting. So it's a broad range of ministering to the kids and the kids that are very often overlooked, disenfranchised, And the toughest part of it is some of these kids get to a certain age where they won't be adopted, and they know it. And then they're going to go and age out of the system at a certain age. And uh, my understanding from the state is that they look at the beds necessary in uh, state institutions of uh, correction, another way to put prison and jail, based on the number of kids aging out of foster care amazing but you know the church can be there right we can be there with prayer we can be there financially we can be there with some goods and services we can be there being grandmas and grandpas to some families that need some grandmas and grandpas there's a broad range of ministry so i just want to just kind of mention that just to give you an excuse why i had a good excuse to golf for those of you who are saying oh, i can't believe it he went golfing it benefited the kids of the state, and so I was glad to be a part of that. We're going to move forward in the book of Acts. The title of today's message, last last week we talked about the happy concept of judgment. How many of you just walked out just higher than a kite last week? Right. It's Aaron as we're going through the book of Acts here, uh, as far as we go, as far as it is that we go, we want to cover everything. If it's in there, the Holy Spirit saw fit to include it, we need to hear it, Right. We need to hear the things that cheer us up as well as sober us to the realities we're dealing with. The title today is Unclean Spirits Out and Grace In. 
unclean spirits out and grace in. I knew as I, I was on the right track when I walked in here, my wife yelled out, get those unclean spirits out of here now. And I thought, bingo. She didn't even know what I'm preaching on. And she, she hit it. I want to skip down to about the sixth slide of review rather than hitting every one of those review slides and just go back to this. Walking in grace is meant to get deeper and broader as time goes on. We're supposed to dig in deeper and enjoy a richness and more of a fullness of the grace of God. Amen? The path of the just grows more and more bright, is more and more full of light as the day goes on. That's a paraphrase of one of the wisdom scriptures. Walking in grace also brings about episodes of judgment. The Lord wants to deal with uncleanness. He wants to deal with things that need to be dealt with in order to release people onward. And we saw that at a very crucial time, the enemy had slipped in and had preoccupied the minds of two people that is recorded there as being part of the church. People who had accepted that Jesus is the Messiah. They were not false agents, but they were a part and parcel of what was going on. But when they saw the response to Joseph of Cyprus, they went, hmm, here's what we'll do. We'll align with that, but we'll hold some money back. And we looked at Achan, the one who stole, and as a result, he and his family perished because it was necessary to judge this at the very beginning. At the very inauguration of the tabernacle in the wilderness, two out of four sons of Aaron died. He lost 50% of his son that day. Why? Because two of them offered strange fire. And when they offered strange fire, they were judged by the Lord. Right there, it was nipped in the bud. That's that's pretty tough, isn't it? It was nipped in the bud. We got to be... We become uncomfortable with that. And some of us even want to say, well, that's Old Testament, Pastor. Last I checked, the book of Acts is New Testament. After the cross, after the resurrection, after the giving of the Holy Spirit, it's in our era. And we see this judgment of God upon Ananias and Sapphira. And then something happens. So remember, when grace Explodes When an event of grace happens in your life, expect a pushback. Set yourself to push back against the pushback. Turn to your neighbor and say, push back against the pushback. <clears throat> and then get ready, because as you set yourself in that direction, it opens up the door for another wave, for another gift of grace. So we just expect ourselves to be pushed back on. We're not discouraged. We don't say, what in the world's going on here? We don't throw our hands up. We set our face like flint, and we say, I knew that was going to come. Now, what's on the other side of that? God has something for me on the other side of that. The enemy's going to try to discourage. The enemy's going to try to get me to turn loose of that. But God wants me to hang on. Amen? He wants me to hang on. He wants you to strengthen your grip upon that grace. Then he's going to release more grace. God's in the more business. Hello? I didn't say s'mores business. I said the more business. He is in, he is interested in entrusting to you more, giving to you more, blessing you more, healing you more deeply and more fully. He's interested in doing 
way more for you than you can ask or think. That's the kind of business God is in. But it's going to bring about, if necessary, episodes of judgment. You know that the New Testament, the book of Hebrews says that judgment begins at the house of God. That's where it begins. So here's the key. Get lined up early so you don't have to be judged. So you don't have the the harsh thing come your way. Be uh, easily trained. Have an ear ready to hear. Be ready to instantly obey. Then what happens? We move into the grace. We're more easily corrected. And it's not going to take the tough thing. Now what the Lord what the Lord is doing with judgment is He's targeting the enemy. What was going on in Ananias and Sapphira? Satan has filled your heart to concoct this lie. What's going on? Ananias and Sapphira have yielded to the unclean or unclean spirits that are looking for opportunity. Now, we're not going to get into were they oppressed, bothered, or possessed. I'm going to say they yielded and they gave in to a lie that was born in the pits of hell, was carried and conveyed by an unclean or possibly several unclean spirits. And what does God do? He deals with unclean spirits. Look at the ministry of Jesus. We're going to see that in a little bit and use that as a closing illustration. Jesus brings judgment upon unclean spirits. He releases people. You follow me? He brings judgment upon the unclean. He releases and brings cleanliness to the people of God. So we want to walk carefully through judgment because if we walk very carefully through judgment, it brings about more intense grace. That's what stands in the way often is needing a judgment or a cleansing to bring more grace. Everybody say more grace. Okay. So let's look at Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, that says, the apostles, notice that's plural. The apostles, how many were there? They had 11 because one died. Then they replaced him. So there was 12. So we know there were at least 12 apostles. And what did Jesus say just before he left? Greater things will you do because I go to my Father. Because I'm standing there and interceding for you. So it says the apostles performed many. Everybody say many. Many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. This is not recorded until after the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira. What's God doing? He's wanting to move towards that more. What's the enemy doing? He's trying to stop the river. He's trying to stop the people of God. He's trying to discourage. He's trying to distract. He's trying to lure off into sin. He's trying to get you off track because he knows that God's plan for you is more. God's plan for you is blessing. God's plan for you is his amazing grace poured out into your spirit, your soul, and your body, causing you to have the peace of God which passes all understanding and covers every aspect of you and your life. Isn't that awesome? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise and thanksgiving. Now we see the apostles plural, not just James and John, not just Peter, 
not the inner three alone. But now we see the twelve are now in Jerusalem performing miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Now, I want to reiterate something I've mentioned before. I think it bears repeating, and it's this. It's only recorded in Scripture. I'm going to qualify this. It's only recorded in Scripture that Jesus did two kinds of miracles in Jerusalem, and they weren't very many. And that was opening the eye of the blind and raising up the paralyzed. Two kinds. Now, notice what this says. And what I'm saying is that even Jesus himself didn't do many miraculous signs and wonders in Jerusalem. Why? Largely because of their unbelief. Because they rejected him. But what's happening? People are receiving Jesus. People are receiving the good news. So now the apostles have stood a test of pushback time after time after time. And we see at least four or five events have already occurred in the book of Acts of pushback by the enemy and by the people. They stand their ground. They don't quit. They go back and pray. Give us more boldness, Lord. Give us more strength, Lord. Give us more faith. And so now we have this breakthrough. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Now he's, he's recalling history. Now, what was the thing that first happened in Solomon's colonnade? Originally, it was the grand entrance where the king would come to the temple. With the destruction of much of Jerusalem, that was gone, and now Solomon's colonnade uh, remained just beyond the beautiful gate. Does that sound familiar? They came in one day at the time of prayer, and they said, Silver and gold have we none, but such as we have give I you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And Peter took him by the hand and raised him to his feet, and he was seen walking and leaping and praising God in the temple. And then they would meet in Solomon's colonnade and talk about this and praise the Lord. What happens? Part of the temple in Jerusalem is now the official, unofficial meeting spot of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're meeting in the outer courts of the temple, and everybody knows where the church meets. The church meets in Solomon's colonnade. This was the site of the first great miracle. This is the site where God had answered the prayer, Heal us, Lord, and we'll be healed Deliver us, Lord, and we'll be delivered. And a man who had been paralyzed all of his life, and all of them had passed him by, and Jesus had passed him by at the beautiful gate, now is walking and leaping and praising God in the temple. Give the Lord a hand clap right there. A great praise to him. So, this is now their meeting spot. Don't you want to hang out where you first encountered this glorious response of the Holy Spirit, and they are now continuing to meet in Solomon's colonnade. Now, greater grace is intended for greater harvest. One of the great temptations that we face is when resources are released to us, we think it's for us. Hello? 
in a church world. When greater resources come, if we're not careful, we turn our thinking away from the harvest and those that we need to reach and those that are unreached yet in our community. And if we're not careful, we'll take it and we'll consume it for ourselves. We'll focus it. I remember something that happened in the life of our church early on, back in the old days, the 1,200 Roberts cut off. We were needing to... How many of you remember when we were still finishing the building project at 1,200 Roberts Cutoff? We wanted to get needed slash wanted to get new pews for the church. So as we were talking about it as a board, I sat there and earlier that week in prayer, I heard the Lord speak to me. He says, if you'll focus on my number one issue, I'll focus on your number one issue. I said, hey, that's great. He said, take care of what's in my heart to be taken care of, and I'll take care of what's in your heart to be taken care of. We had a good, reasonable, practical, and utilitarian need for pews in our new in our sanctuary. And so I told the board, I said, guys, I don't know exactly what this looks like, but I've looked over our missions and so on and so forth, and we're way low for a church of our size. We need to do something for missions. And I said, I know we need to get pews, but I feel like the Lord's talking to us about priority and we need to focus on his top priority and he'll take care of this. So instead of starting a fun drive for pews, we started a emphasis upon giving more to missions. We had a missions convention and we put everything we could into it and people responded. Many of you right here you responded in that and continued to respond and responded before that because you're people who like to give and you have a heart for missions. The church exploded its commitment to missions. Just went over the top. It was wonderful. A couple weeks later, the money was given to pay for all the pews. Give the Lord a hand clap. See, he had, he had spoken to us. I didn't tell the congregation, forget pews, we're doing missions. I didn't say that. We just put the first priority as missions, and then later we would come back and say, okay, we need to do something for pews. One week later, after that missions convention, somebody wrote out a check for the whole amount for the pews. Powerful. That was a just a principle. If you get focused on what I'm focused on, I'll take care of the things you need. And you know what? Even the things you desire and want because you have a pure heart, because you're, because you're responding to me. So greater grace is intended for greater harvest. One of the great temptations that I think has befallen the American church is that we have caught on to faith and grace. We have seen the results of it, but we haven't taken those results and put it back out there and cast our bread upon the water. We have risked disconnecting from God's priorities. And so God, greater grace is intended for what? Greater harvest. He's wanting, he doesn't want anyone in Jerusalem to perish. He doesn't want anyone in Judea to perish. He doesn't want anyone in Samaria to perish. And he doesn't want anyone to the islands of the sea and the uttermost parts of the earth to perish. He wants a great harvest. Another thing we can pull away from that with is grace events 
tend to mark out territory. What happens when grace falls on an island, which it has in New Hebrides? To this day, the island of the New Hebrides, that chain of islands, is known for revival. It's marked. People still take vacations and go there. And here's the questions they ask. Where was the cottage where the ladies prayed? Where was the place where they held the services? And they constantly on the New Hebrides Island are reminded of their past. There was a great display of grace. Grace was poured out. People's lives were markedly changed. And to this day, it's marked their territory. Solomon's colonnade was marked until the destruction of the temple as the place where the people of God gather together and God pours out his grace. He pours out healing. He pours out his tremendous blessings. Goes on to say this, no one else dared join them. Now, after you've had people die in your church service, and after there's an intensification of grace, don't you know that when the power of God intensifies, there are people that are just a little intimidated? You often see this in revivals where people kind of shrink back and say, that's, that's just too powerful for me. I don't know. That's kind of strange. Things are coming out here that we thought maybe were historic, but now they're actually happening in our time, and people are just not sure. I had a farmer that would tell me they looking at they were looking at the revival like a calf looking at a new gate. Just... What is that? What do we make of that? No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. What does this imply? The number, people are not coming into Solomon's colonnade and joining the church. They're finding a back door. They're not coming in the front door. They're looking for a side door. They're looking for a back door. They're intimidated by the power of God and the display of God's grace that's occurring right there in the main event in Solomon's colonnade. But it doesn't stop the growth of the church. Some of us are afraid that if we really go gangbusters for God, that everybody will just say, lunatics, we knew it, and disconnect. We have forgotten the power of the power of God. We have forgotten the persuasion power of the Holy Spirit. And we're afraid that people will be offended by that and put off by that. The fact is, yes and no. They won't necessarily come through the front door of the church that's in revival. But here's some great news. The church has some side doors. Now, you can look at your neighbor and say, looks like you're a side door. Looks like you're a window. Looks like you're another way in to the church. People who might be intimidated by the full flower and fire of the Holy Spirit in a revived church are not going to be afraid of the people of God who go there because they live a life that connects with theirs. So the fear of the Lord resulted in public carefulness. And personal invitation. What's happening? The, the back door and the side doors open up. 
And the people of God who are full of the fire of God and the presence of God, when they disperse from Solomon's colonnade, go to the marketplace, go to their homes, go to their regular run-of-the-mill daily tasks and jobs and life, and there they intersect people. And when they intersect people, they do so conveying and carrying with them the fire of the Holy Spirit and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not doing the powerful things that the apostles are doing, but they're connected to that, and they're people of faith, and they have a message that's identical to that of the apostles, and that is Jesus is the Christ of God, and God has given him to us to save us from our sins and to cleanse us and to heal us and ultimately to raise us up from the dead. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? So, notice this. As a result, people brought, bro, yeah, as a result, people brought, I want to point that out, I caught my own typo there. People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats. That's pretty wild, isn't it? The common people bring the people who have a need into the streets Not to the temple. Not to Solomon's colonnade. They're forbidden. Many of them are forbidden from being in there because of their sickness. But they bring them into the streets. Why? Because the apostles, plural, are doing great and mighty works. Where are they doing them? In the streets. In the streets of the city. Laid them on beds and mats so that at least, not least... So we have a bro and a lease this morning. So that least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Can you say the people's faith has been lifted? When stuff like this is going on, we know that faith has been lifted up. God's word has gone forth, and when the word is spoken, faith is lifted, and these people are so full of faith that they're saying this, perhaps if we take my son and put him on a cot, Peter walks down this street every day to go to the post office. And if the sun's coming up there in the east, it will hit him, and his shadow will then fall upon our son. And when his shadow falls upon them. Wow. There could be a miracle. Do you hear the expectancy? Is this a great sign or what? How many of you read where Jesus' shadow fell on people and they were healed? Nowhere. Nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus' shadow fall on somebody and they're healed. But Peter's shadow falls upon somebody and they're healed. Why? Not because Peter is a great man but because Peter serves a great God and people have a great faith in a great God that somehow, if we can bring this together, we could get us a miracle. How many of you know something's changed in Jerusalem? Something has happened in the life of the church. Something, judgment has fallen and dealt with uncleanness and now people are saying, I'm going to live upright because I don't want to go to Solomon's colonnade and fall over dead. I want to make sure my heart is pure and clean and that I'm on a short list with God. 
grace touched the crowds, ignited faith, and even started a shadow ministry. Wouldn't that be great? People would say, well, I hope that pastor over there, he always drives down this street, and if the shadow of his car would just fall on our house, somehow the blessings of God, not because of who I am, saying, you know, that church down there, they're serious about God. I mean, those people are serious. They pray, and they seek his face, and they live upright, and they love God, and they love people, and God is doing powerful things in their midst. And if just one of those would touch me on the arm in Walmart, if if their shopping cart would accidentally bump mine, Maybe I'll get a powerful charge of the power of God through the shopping cart and change this arthritic condition. This is the expectancy in people because why? They're seeing the explosion of the grace of God and they're hungry and they're thirsty for the things of God. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem bringing their sick. The towns around Jerusalem. Jesus had done a great miracle in a town Ten miles away from Jerusalem. He raised Lazarus from the dead. That's not Jerusalem. That's a town around. It's a Sabbath day journey away. Maybe it's more like six and a half miles because it's a Sabbath day journey. But it's not Jerusalem. It's another town. The town of Bethany. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem. Bringing their sick. And those tormented by what? Evil spirits. And all of them were healed. Wow. Is there great grace in the midst of the people of God in Jerusalem? Great grace. Tremendous grace. The apostles are walking in the greatest grace they've ever walked in. The people of God in Jerusalem are seeing the greatest grace they've ever seen. Greater than when Jesus had opened the eyes of a blind man and had raised a paralyzed man up to his feet. Now it's breaking out everywhere, and I'm hearing those words of Jesus. And greater things will you do. You know, you can edit this for this purpose. Greater things will you do in Jerusalem than I ever did because I go to the Father. What did the church know? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he has all authority and all power. And if we could just yoke together with Jesus, cooperate with Jesus, and continue the ministry of Jesus, it will mean greater things. Greater things in Jerusalem. Greater things for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Greater things. So we see the disciples more closely mirrored Jesus' ministry. I don't have time to read this, but I'll recap it. I turned over to the book of Mark because as I read this and studied this passage, a nagging thought in the back of my mind was saying, I've read this story before. I went back to Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 34. Maybe just make that note and you can look at it later. Jesus comes into Capernaum and his ministry does exactly this. What does he do? Cast out an unclean spirit. Where? In the synagogue. Then what happens? He goes to Peter's house and heals Peter's mother. Then what happens? After they eat dinner 
at sundown on the Sabbath day, everybody from the countryside brings all of their sick and possessed with the devil and puts them in the street in Capernaum, waiting for Jesus to complete the Sabbath day festivities of meal. He comes out of the house, and then it says this, he healed all their sick and cast out every unclean spirit. What Jesus had done to establish Capernaum as his headquarters, he had the disciples do to establish Jerusalem as the headquarters for the church. From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth, and Jesus left it for them to do. Jesus never did that in Jerusalem. He left it for his disciples. What does that tell us? Did Jesus really want to repeat his ministry in me? Think about that. Does Jesus really want to repeat his ministry in me? Yeah, he'd be happy for you to do more than he did. And then this. Does Jesus really want to repeat his ministry? Let me add these words. Through Vision Church in Lake Worth. Is he wanting to repeat? Yes. The answer to that is yes. He really wants to repeat his ministry in me. He really wants to repeat his ministry in Lake Worth. He's really interested in more. He's really interested in greater grace. And he's really interested in dealing with the enemy that besieges us, that torments us, that terrorizes us, that is pesky and pushes back on us. He really wants to tear down, destroy, and throw down every stronghold of the enemy so that he can release us in our life to more fully and powerfully serve him and so that he might release us as his church, finding all of our foes defeated and pushing on through them like a bulldozer and walking into greater grace, to walk into more. Would you all just say that word with me together? More. There's so much more. More than you're walking in, more than I'm walking in, more than I know, more than you know, more than I've experienced, more than you've experienced. I'm here to guarantee you one thing. There's more. And secondly, God wants to pour it out upon us. But thirdly, there's something he needs to confront or we need to confront and get out of the way and find a victory over and push on through. How many of you want to push on through? Amen. Tasha is going to come back and lead us in two songs of worship. And as she does, this would be a great time to put yourself in a position with the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, what is it that's holding me back? What is it that is preventing me from that? What is it in my own life that needs to be pushed on through, defeated, knocked down, torn down, judged by God? Lord, I want you to do that. That's my prayer. I want you to do that in my life. And secondly, Lord, I want you to do that in my church because we need to press on through. We need to get into more than everything that God has for us. Amen? Amen. Let's worship together. Amen. His goodness is running after, running after me. That's a picture of grace. He wants to do more. He's running after you. 
Here's the, here's the, the clincher as we all stand to our feet. I want to pray over you today. I'm just wondering if this might be in your heart. And say there's some other thoughts and other things just of normal everyday life as well as fears and things I can't control that are trying to press in on my thinking. What did the Apostle Paul say? He said, we tear down every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, the anointed one, the one who is gracious and the one who gives us all things. All things are found in him and provided in him. So what is the enemy going to do? He's going to distract you and stir up fear and chaos and foggy brain and everything he can so that you are preoccupied with the fear and the thing you can't control and what's going on here on good old planet earth. But how many of you know heaven trumps earth? And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has to give us is far better than anything that we can find here on this earth. And for some of us, just to find some peace, just to find some peace, what's going on? What's the dynamic spiritually, supernaturally? The enemy is trying to besiege you with troubling, unclean spirits. I'm not saying you're demonized and full of the devil. What I'm saying is the devil's just doing his thing. Kind of reminds me, you ever go out in the parking lot where people throw bread and French fries out, and there's a hundred thousand gackles. Why are they there? Because there's bread. There's stuff to eat. We have to learn to stop throwing the bread. We need to stop buying into the meditation on all this negativity and everything else. It just draws them like flies. But instead, that that we would find some peace. So I just want to pray over us right now. Lord Jesus, you stood in the synagogue, and when you got done, unclean spirits were gone, and then you went out in the streets, and you cleaned up the mess. So we're inviting you, Holy Spirit, to come and confront every besieging and bothersome thought, everything that the enemy's trying to do to pull the wool over our eyes or to get us sidetracked, that is the work of unclean spirits. They just do their thing. Just like birds go pick up French fries and bread. They do that. That's their job, so to speak. Lord, I'm praying for some clarity of thought. I'm praying for the atmosphere in this church and in the minds of this people to be cleared by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that we would just receive this grace and we would be caught by this goodness that follows hard after us. Lord, I just pray that your goodness would accost us, would be revealed to us. And rather than receiving a full and total revelation of the evil that is set against us, a full and total revelation of the great grace that lies ahead of us and the goodness of God. We stand against every unclean spirit, every plot and strategy of the enemy. Pray that the light of the Holy Spirit would be cast upon them reflecting it to us so that we might see what he is up to and that they would be thrown down and destroyed through our knowledge of Jesus, the Christ of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. May his grace and peace be yours in abundance today. Lord bless you as you go. Ladies and men at four o'clock Bible study. Until then, grace and peace.